Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. All right, we're back with another edition of Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry ready to talk about the greatest movies of all time, the new ones that are out in theaters, and some of the ones that might be coming to theaters near you or streaming, whatever you do. Tit for tat, as Chuck usually says. Uh, Chuck Curry, Mike Rags. It's a Nick Cage show today uh, as we look back at his remarkable career that somehow hit a brick wall about 15 years ago. We'll talk about in just a little bit as he's got a new movie in theaters getting a lot of buzz, but I don't know if it's getting a lot of people in seats. Let's talk to Chuck about it. Chuck, what's the early word about box office returns this weekend, especially with Nick Cage's new film? Uh, it's tracking around like a six to eight million dollar opening weekend. It's a thirty million dollar film. I'm I gotta be honest, I'm a little surprised that this one didn't go straight to streaming. It seems like the type of vehicle that would, but they wanted to put it in theaters. I, I guess I guess there's some good buzz over the overall career of, of Nick Cage. I think listen, I think anybody would be hard pressed if you're a true movie fan to not say out loud that Nicholas Nicholas Cage is a very entertaining actor. And uh, yeah, he's slightly eccentric, but that that's what makes him, uh, I think, so much fun. Yeah, when we go through his uh, his uh, uh, career, you'll see the how eclectic it really be. Um, there's an animated movie called The Bad Guys Out and the new movie The Northman comes out. Any of these making film uh, making money? Well, I know The Northman is tracking around 11, 12 million dollar opening weekend. It's a 70 million dollar film. I have not seen it, but I know a couple people did on Thursday night. And they said, ah, like a five out of 10. Yeah. It was, it, you know, critics seem to like it, but it's usually somewhat of a disconnect between critics and uh, general audiences. So that, um, that's an understatement. It's a, listen, it's a risky endeavor. Anything, anytime you spend $70 million on anything that's not a superhero movie or a brand name, a Viking movie. Yeah. You know, they try to harder. make a look. It's not, like the, it's not like the days of Gladiator. It's in Brave no, It's just a different right. world we're living in. They are trying to market it kind of like a pseudo uh, superhero movie, too, to make it seem like this guy's got, you know, I don't know. What about the animated film? Is it going to make some cash? Yeah, about 20 million. OK, that's that's Not pretty bad. good. That's pretty good yeah. for a lesser known. Uh, no, I, think I, I, I wanted to bounce into something real quick. Uh, the, the next big one, obviously, is going to be Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some rumors out there that is starting to gain a little steam. And I know somebody who is semi in the industry that says he knows for a fact this is going to happen. Now, this is just speculation. That Tom Cruise is going to have a three-minute cameo in this movie as the alternative Iron Man. What? Yeah. Wow. You like the idea? Now, if they, what do you think? Let's say, now, again, this is pure speculation. I have no idea if this is accurate or not, but it's starting to gain a little traction. It's this, fun. I'll give him that. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun idea. Is it a smart move by Marvel I, to do to have anybody, anybody, be, and it's going to be it would be a different variation of Iron Man uh, right. in a multiverse. Right. But is it risky to do that on Robert Downey Jr.'s immense legacy with an actor as well, we, big? Yeah, we've talked about it before. Chris? Yeah, we talked about it before. Sooner or later, somebody else is going to have to play the part, right? They're gonna. They're not going to let just Iron Man go away. I, I don't know. Maybe they will. I, I now, think they will for a long time. I don't know. Not if they're, they're talking about stuff like this in multiverse. How old is your daughter? How old is your, old is your daughter? She's twelve. Okay, I think maybe when she's twenty-two, maybe. I'm serious. <laughs> and and, the, and the weird thing, 
the weird thing is it not, might be it's not going to happen in the next two years. Well, the weird thing is it might be Tom Cruise when it happens for her, too. <laughs> yeah. here's, here, here's, here's the thing. Like, I mean, the multiverse was fun. But how many times do you go to the well? Do you really want to just multiverse, multiverse, multiverse? I mean, obviously, the possibilities and the cameos and the 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 uh, the creative choices broaden significantly. Sure. Right? Sure. But is it really good storytelling? No, it's lazy storytelling, actually. And that's one of the things I don't like about the Doctor Strange character is that there's really there's no risk in any of these movies because he could just change, you know, the universe. And there's I mean, no he could bring Iron Man back. Right. He yeah. could bring Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man back. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I, that's why I'm not a fan of this series. So I, I don't know. I did. Um, you bring up Marvel. I did get a chance to see the teaser trailer for Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, did you get a yeah. chance to see it yet? Yeah, let me just preface with you. You talk about it. it. It got in one day. They do totals. How many people hit the watch the trailer first day, 24 hours, 202 million. Wow. The biggest one was Spider-Man No Way Home, about th- almost 350 million one day. But 202 million in one day. Obviously, there's a lot of interest in it simply because at the end of the trailer, they tease Natalie Portman's yeah, she looks uh, great. Jane Foster character is a female Thor, right? And and it does have the tone of Ragnarok too. I mean, it looks like a comedy, yeah, and and that's why I don't like it. Yeah, see, I don't like Ragnarok. I'm in the minority. I don't like that movie because it got it's just too silly for me. Yeah, and it, and the, the trailer's kind of silly. Although you do see uh, Chris Pratt, just Star like, Star just Lord. Like it yeah, yeah. So uh, it's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, through and through, uh, and apparently Christian Bale's the villain. You don't see him in it at all. No. Um, so I, yeah, it's going to make a ton of money. It's going to be ridiculous. Uh, it's good to see him in the role. I will say that um, it, that's just fit for him and perfect for him. It'd be interesting to see what kind of career he has outside of this once it's all said and done. Um, I know he's got that second Netflix film coming out, The Extraction 2, which was pretty popular on streaming. But again, we've seen the watering down of action movies by Netflix, which is maybe where we should transition next because Netflix has taken it on the chin a little bit this yeah, past let's, week. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Stocks are down. People are leaving um, and they're promising the crackdown on sharing of passwords. So maybe the first chink in the armor for Netflix. Well, here's the thing. Let's put this in, into perspective on Wall Street. For a stock to stay momentous, meaning the momentum of the stock constantly going up, there's always a little profit ter- taking unless unless there's a complete blowout on the upside in the quarterly report, right? So the idea of Wall Street is they want you to continue to grow, or you get or or people will start jumping off the ship. So what happened with Netflix is they reported that their subscriber growth stopped. It lost some subscribers. How many did it lose? Twenty? What was it? Two hundred thousand? Yeah, something was like it that. Two hundred thousand. Yeah. Okay, so it still has. It still. Let's put this in perspective. Netflix has two hundred and twenty million worldwide subscribers, paying probably an average cost of what seventeen, eighteen, nineteen dollars a month, right? I don't have my calculator in front of me, <laughs> but two hundred twenty million times nineteen dollars a month, Mike. Yeah, that's a lot. A month, it's, you know? it's yeah, mine's eighteen dollars. So two hundred thousand. I mean, times eighteen. So, I mean, so do you really have to listen? It's like anything else. It's like um, it's like a TV show, right? When you have that peak of rate, The Walking Dead in his peak, the, before Negan kills Glenn and Abraham, it had seventeen million people watching. Right? There comes a time where you can't grow anymore. You just can't. Right? Right. You got to go down. Right. So 50, 250 billion dollars, though. That's a lot. That's a so, big down. I get it. 
Well, it could come back over the next couple months, right? Sure. People stop buying again. Oh, the the analysts say, oh, I think it's a good time to buy. This is the way it, they shake out the weak hands, is called, yeah. right? Yeah. Plus, it's a momentum stock, and and obviously, you're, you know, aspect uh, per, per the the way stocks are 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 uh, priced now are very different than they were 30 years ago, 20 years ago. It's a different world, right? So, here's the thing. 220 million subscribers monthly is still a tremendous achievement. But here's the thing, okay? I was reading another story. Put this in your brain, roll it around, okay? Netflix Stranger Things Season 4. Yep. The cost per episode, $30 million per episode. Yep. Okay? And, yep. Uh, Disney spent $25 million per episode. On WandaVision, Loki, and Falcon, Falcon and the Snowman, twenty-five million. Okay, Stranger Things. I know the scope appears big in this current trailer. Sure, but thirty million. How many? What is it? Ten episodes? Uh there. I think, I think there's divide. a little bit more than that because it's an expanded okay. two-part final yeah. season. So thirty million an episode, Mike. I mean. Well, at least it shows. I don't know what the catering bill is or what they're doing outside. Well, now wait. Be fair. I mean, some come on. Come on, be fair. Some of these productions are pretty darn good. I mean, you're not thirty million an episode. Well, I listen. You can't have a little. You can't. You can't have them. You can't have them sitting on the couch for half an hour. How much was? How much was Ted Danson making an episode? Back in the day, he was making a lot of money per episode back in the day. Million. I mean, it is some, what it some, is. Like friends, they made a million each. Right? But at least they're putting investment back into the product and making sure. Well, it's here, up on here's the my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. I still have my doubts of the business model of streamers. Like, you can't spend on content the way they're spending over over year after year after year. I don't think it's viable. Well, here's right. what's not viable and they can't yeah. do and they're talking about maybe doing and that's putting advertisements on the stream. Look, if you're going to charge people $18 a month and then well, throw ads it, up, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that. It would be okay, let's just say you get a cheapskate who's who says I'm willing to pay 8 bucks a month. Like right? Hulu does. Okay. Like Hulu does basically. Right. Okay, I'll, pay, I'll pay eight bucks a month and I get some ads. Yeah, that's what Hulu then. is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's called a tier. They're going to tier. Uh, having said that, as I sent you in a text, I was very surprised that they warmed up to that possibility. I've, I'm telling you, I was very surprised. I, well, I did not see that coming. I am one of the so sheep. What are they, so they're panicked because they lost 200,000 two, uh, 200, subscribers. And they still have 220 million. And they're in panic mode. Come yeah. on, I mean, what what is going on here, Mike? I don't know, but I still readily hand over my eighteen dollars because I I love their product. And Ozark's op- the final season is next week. Let Stranger me, Things can I next ask you month. Another, can I ask you another question? Yeah, if you listen to my answer instead of talk over me I, like you normally uh, do, sure. I'm, I'm listening. Go ahead. Okay. Here's my question: Do you think Netflix has done a good job marketing their product? I don't. I don't think they I don't think they market the outside people well enough, but they market to their own clients very well. If you're on Netflix, you're going to know to watch this next show. There's no doubt about it. Now, could they do better outside getting more people to be interested in seeing the, you know, what Ozark's all about? Probably. But to their subscribers, the first thing you do is turn on the show and you're going to see what's coming up that you need to watch. Yeah, but it feels cheap to me. Well, I mean, it is what it is. A company pouring millions of dollars in and out, right? It just feels so like, 
Well, cancel your subscription then. I'm not saying that. Well, then just, what? it's going to work. There, nobody's going to back I, out. I, my, my point is per movie, like per individual movie. It doesn't feel like they're investing a marketing campaign in some of their bigger products other than Stranger Things. That's the only one. So they, you would rather they, see they, them spend $30 million on marketing, not product. He, okay. Here, here's the problem from a marketing point of view. Let's just say you, they're marketing Netflix as a whole. And people go on Netflix and they say, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I want to watch something. So they see the banner top 10 of the day, mm-hmm. right? Let's say they fish a little deeper. You know, they're going to find some really clunky movies on there. Right? Of course some, they are. There's garbage on there too. Well, there's garbage on all the platforms. Every single know, one of them. You, but, but my point is, don't you want people to, to discover the, the, the best product that you have? So I if think- you don't individually pr- promote a certain product and you just do the entire content, I, it could be. Dicey I, I disagree. Term. I think most Netflix yeah. users find the good stuff and, and stick with the good. They know where to okay. find it. Some right. cream cream usually rises to the top on Netflix. Uh, and does it, let me ask you this. Do any of the streaming services uh, market? Well, I don't think, I think they Disney do. does. I think Disney does. Well, Disney's a different no. bird, but uh, yeah, I don't I think agree. Amazon, Apple Plus more like a mouse. They're more like a mouse. But yeah, <laughs> good. Fine. But. I think they all market to their own audience and hope they get the fringe to come in. I, I don't know. Now, you think now, I, I didn't I didn't realize this completely until I looked at a, somebody held up a, a graph. I like Netflix is the most expensive, nineteen ninety nine a month, right? Yeah. Amazon Prime is I think fourteen ninety nine. Then you got like Paramount Plus four ninety nine. There's a couple like four ninety nine. Yeah. But Apple's, I, I think Apple's I think Apple's eight. Yeah. No, cheaper. I think they're like four ninety nine too. So I think you get what you pay for because like Paramount Plus has a few good things, but it's not enough. Right. You can't charge more than 10 bucks on that service. Well, um, one thing's for sure. Uh, there's plenty of them now. And, yeah. you know, if you cut the cord, you're still going to have a lot of product product to watch. But, but somebody I, I was watching pointed out a good point. Even if you think even if you think 1999 for Netflix is, is a lot a month, I don't. You go to a bar and you have a drink. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that's your Netflix budget for the that, month, right? Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's the way to always look at it. Would you pay if you go out to dinner one night during that month? That's just like buying Netflix for that month. And, and I know. So you spend the same amount of money. I mean, I think it's worth it. I, I do. I know it seems to add up after a while, because if you keep buying all of these services um, and then you throw the Major League Baseball package on top of that and all the other yeah. stuff, it, it kind of adds up. Um, so another question for you. Do you think Netflix announcement, that quarterly announcement, opens a little bit of a door for the possibility of people saying, you know what, like sitting on my couch watching movies, there's got to be something different. And maybe I'm going to go back to the movies on a more consistent basis. Uh, I think the summer is going to help that, too. I I do. This is going to be the first summer where, you know, all bets are off as far as masks and mandates and travel and all and movies. And so. Yeah. This is a this is going to be a good indication this summer that people do want to go out, experience the communal thing and 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 experience movies with others. Um, but don't you need don't you need the partners, which is this, which is the studio and the movie theater in, in business together, like working on the same team? I, I think I think, I think what will happen, I, I think the barometer, I think the Batman, 45 days, 300 and something million, 370 in box office, then goes HBO Max. HBO Max gets to relaunch their streaming service. They got a, a, a good product to market, right? 
a well-known product to market. So, so Warner Brothers really, like I said last week, they got their cake and ate it too. But what does the theater get? See what for, for I think for theaters to ultimately really come back, I think the studios got to go back to the theaters and say, you know what? Okay, let's hammer out a really fair agreement. Yeah. Yeah. So we both so we both win. And I think if they do that, and I think ultimately maybe they will think about doing that because I th- I just think you need movie theaters ultimately think, to make I think, big, big money. Chuck, I think you need movie theaters. I don't think you need multiplexes anymore. I think that's the difference. I think we need to go back to the model of the 70s and 80s, the late 70s, early 80s, where you would go see Tootsie in the theaters and then these other movies you'd only be able to see in New York, L.A. and all that stuff. And then eventually you're going to just narrow down the audience. And unfortunately, these big movies are going to be superhero movies, unfortunately. But I think that's what's going to happen. You'll have a three, four or five movie plex, not the 15 in a huge mall. I just think that model's done. And, and what do you do be- with the real what? And what did they do with the real estate, though? Well, the same thing question. any mall does with the real estate. It's gone. What do they do with any commercial real estate? So they rebuild smaller theaters. So that's what they'll time. have to end up doing. Yeah. I, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, so what? Five, five, a five, a multiplex of five. Yeah, maybe I would say three to five. Or And then maybe you have the right, other standalones right. like the Ziegfeld come back and do stuff like that. That that should happen. Um, I don't know why somebody doesn't do that um, and, and just open up just a big. I know that you, you can't survive a one screen. You can't. I don't know. I, yeah, I, you have to have some turnover for, for flexibility. You have to. I, I know the model because I help operate a three screen independent theater. And, and at one screen, we'd be dead. The, the two extra screens gives us some flexibility to turn movies over. You have to have the turnover possibility. Well, but it's we'll interesting s- what you say. It is very interesting. Um, Chuck, before we move on, um, I have a new feature I want to do to you in, in a second. But let's talk about a, a couple of movie me? movie news. Um so we got Fast and Furious 10. It's called Fast X. Uh, so it's and, like Jason X. Like yeah, Jason X. No, I know. I'm maybe there'll one. be an outer space in this one. I wouldn't surprise me. Um, Not at all. Brie Larson's on board. Jason Momoa is the bad guy. And now this is the penultimate movie. They're promising there'll be one more and that's it. One more. OK, OK. I get so it. So this one and then an 11th one. And then Jason takes Manhattan. I, I don't know. I'm running out of ideas for this one, Chuck. Um, I can you do you look back at this and just scratch your head at how long it's lasted and how it because I recently watched the original and then the follow up. Yeah. And I just I got to be honest with you, outside of some charm from Paul Walker and, and Vin Diesel star power, there's really no there's no story to any of these movies. It's just high voltage nonsense. I, I think they've reinvented it uh, halfway through. It's more bombastic, obviously. It has it does it? Listen, a lot of them do have a. They have a night. It does have a. The characters do have a good connection with his core audience. It does feel like family, and that's the message that they pre preached. I mean, I've watched. I haven't watched all in the theater, but the ones I've watched in the theater over the last you know five years, I enjoyed them. Uh, and the only other thing I had here is M. Night Shyamalan just started filming his new horror film called Knock at the Cabin. It's coming out February 3rd, 2023, and it stars Dave Bautista, actually. Yeah, as the lead. Um, it, it's just hard to gauge how any of these movies, how seriously anybody's going to take any of his movies anymore. It's either you're going to be really love it or nobody's going to care. Right now, he's back in the nobody's going to care department, isn't he? A little bit. I mean, I, I thought... Uh... 
I thought he revived himself with Split, and then we both, you know, what he did, uh, uh, cre- the creative choices he made. Not necessarily was it badly directed, or 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 produced. It wasn't. It's the creative choices he made in that movie that were beyond uh, insulting to his core audience who loved Unbreakable, which is a great movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Have I raved about winning time yet on this show? No. Chuck, have you seen yeah, the show? By the way, did you see? No, go ahead. Uh, I have the, not. No. It's about the Lakers rise to the. It is so good. It's developed by Adam McKay. It stars uh, John C. Riley as uh, Jerry Buss. And it's the rise of Magic Johnson in the Lakers. It's so good, Chuck. It is so is it good. R-rated, though? It's very R-rated, yeah. Oh, and I didn't know that. Okay. It, I'm, it's, I think it's going to be a completion of 10 episodes. I'm seven now, episodes. Does, does, it get in, does it get into everything? Like some hardcore stuff? Everything. It is really? good. It is quite revealing. In fact, Jerry West is threatening to sue I know, uh, I the Lakers. Because uh, so they what, actually, surpri- what's, what surprised you the most about the story? Uh, just how the bus family worked together and dynamic between all of them, especially in the beginning of him, his daughter, his ex-wife, now, Ma- Magic Johnson off, off, off the, uh, off the court. What did it go into? Uh, his sex capades, his, uh, his failure to sign on with Nike when he was addressed by Phil Knight, when he was a nobody and he blew uh, quite a lot of money because he went with Converse instead. Um, there's just okay. a lot. And the guy, the actor who plays Magic Johnson is a spitting image of magic. It is pretty good. They throw in Larry Bird to boot too, and their rivalry. I'm telling you, I'm loving every minute of it. And John C. Riley, he better win uh, an Emmy for this because he's, he's so good. Actor. He is such a good actor and he's perfect as Jerry Buss. Sally Fields in it as well. She plays the oh, his mom. Um, it, it's really good, Chuck. You got to and Adrian Brody is Pat Riley. Um, and uh, there's some really good performances. I want you to check it out. It's well worth the, the time of, to watch the entire series. That's for sure. Okay, I've been m- meaning to do it. Uh, only thing I got is that officially Warner Brothers uh, will finance and uh, distribute Kevin Costner's epic period Western called Horizon. Uh, it takes place a little bit uh, pre and post Civil War. Costner hasn't directed a movie since 2003 in Open Range. Open Range, good movie. Yeah. I think yeah. he only directed three movies, right? Yeah. yeah Which just I, three. Thought he, I thought it was more. But it's, yep. that's not the case. Um, and obviously, you know, he's done with Yellowstone such a hit. He's going to get thrown. Uh, you know, they're going to they're going to they're going to help him get this move. Sure. You know, his yeah. project made. It's good yeah. for him. Um, and uh, I'm about to start watching binge watching Yellowstone, too. So I'm going to uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hear so many good things about it. Um, Did and you watch a Batman? By the I, way? I watched two thirds of the Batman. I'll save my review for the yeah, next show. No, wait, wait till next week. Yeah, wait till next week. Um, it's the only way I can stand watching this is movie. It a, is parts. it a movie? Is it a movie or is it a miniseries? I mean, I, you tell story? you. I don't know. Ask the makers because it feels every bit of every three hours of that movie. I got to tell you, um, but I'm glad I'm watching it this way because I don't know if I can sit through the theater for three hours. Um, Chuck, before we get to Nick Cage and before we get to Fast Five, here's a new feature we're going to do. All right. I'm going to ask you to pick a year in film and I will tell you what was in the theaters on this date of that year. So you pick the 1980, year 1986. You're going to go to 1986. Um, so we're going to go to 1986. What's this weekend then? It is April the 30th. Mm-hmm. All right. Out in theaters back on. Uh, April the 25th, uh, that was the Friday of that weekend, Chuck. You had a couple movies come out. 
Eight Million Ways to Die with Jeff Bridges and Rosanna Arquette. Remember that flick? I do. Co-written by Oliver Stone, as a matter of fact. You had Wise Guys, the Brian De Palmer film with Danny DeVito and Joe Piscopo. I remember that one. Um, you also had Violets are Blue. Was it, wasn't, Ca- wasn't Captain Lou Albano in that one? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Dan Hedaya. Yep. It, very funny yeah. movie. Uh, yeah. Joe Piscopo in his heyday, I suppose. Violets yeah. are Blue, which was Sissy Spacek and Kevin Klein. Um, at Close Range was in theaters, Chuck. Yeah, I was a big fan. Uh, and uh, last but certainly not least, actually one of the Gene Hackman movies, uh, the Charles Bronson movies that I like, Murphy's Law, a canon film, Chuck. Guess yeah. what he plays in this film? You got it. A cop. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you remember this one, Murphy's Law? I not do. I, I, that, that, I remember that one. The actress who was in that movie was uh, very interesting. Carrie Snodgrass, right? Or No, yeah, not, yeah. No, no, not her. Not Carrie Snodgrass. Younger girl. Younger girl Kathleen Wilhoit. Yeah, yeah. She was in a couple of movies, right? Yeah, she, very sarcastic tone. Yeah. Uh, so there was your movies on this date in 1986. Good pick. Uh, 1986, April the 30th. That's what's what, what was in theaters. All right, Chuck, let's do fast five and let's start with someone that's near and dear to your heart who celebrated her 63rd birthday this weekend. And that's Miss Catherine Mary Stewart. Well, it, it would be night of the comet because I, I mean, I didn't know who she was until I walked into a movie theater in 84. It was playing it with part of a double bill with uh, one of those t- 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 you know, teen yeah whatever movies and uh that's what i went to see and then night of the comic comes on i'm like wow like it was so cool and uh you know as you know i i got captain mary stewart to the pocono cinema four years in a row we screened night of the comet last starfighter uh we we rotated them every other year uh she played my pong game uh, at my ice cream parlor i mean she's an awesome i mean i'm not just saying this to she really is a, a super cool person and and sort of became like a friend in year four, um, I can't speak highly enough of her. I like her a lot. Still can't get her on the podcast. So that's the only bad thing. I, I know. I think I, I think I could. I just don't know if she wants to go on with you. <laughs> I would pick the last <laughs> Starfighter over Night of the Comet personally, but they're both. OK. 1984. And then awesome. Weekend and Bernie's. Yep. But, yep. Uh, you know, that's I, I think that's more Jonathan Sil- Silver uh, Silverman and, and, uh, and uh, Andrew McCarthy. McCarthy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, how about Richard Donner, Chuck, one of the great American directors in his day? He died uh, last year. He would have been 92 years old this weekend. Well, I, I, I mean, it's tough because you got Superman, it, but you it, also oh, have very, uh, the, Goonies the Goonies and Lethal Weapon. Yeah, it, that, I mean, I could throw, I could throw a coin up in here. It really I'm is. Gonna a, say lethal, I want to say the Lethal Weapon franchise, because even though his, his, his involvement, obviously, Superman paved the way for what we see now. And you go back and you look at Superman. Yeah. We said this many times. That movie still is an epic, an epic movie, uh, and the scope of it is beautifully done. He did a great job on that movie. But if you think about it too, and here's the sad part about Richard Donner: if you if you ask somebody who's the guy that made Superman, The Goonies, and Lethal Weapon, I would say eight out of ten fans probably wouldn't know who to direct it. They might not. even guess Spielberg. Not, not the not the average, yeah, not the average person. Um, and I, I got to be honest with you, in retrospect. When what they did when when they always use Spielberg, like they put his name presents, produ- yeah, yeah, presents like that that takes away from the director a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I think it does. Honorable mention for the Omen. Uh, I told you that I did a revival of the Omen, and it, and it, that was one of the few movies that I've done classic revivals many years after the fact. I didn't feel held up great. 
I, well, I don't know. Still creepy as hell and well directed. Yeah. I will say that. Um, yeah. How about I Babs, Chuck? Pumpkin. Babs is 80 this weekend. Can you believe it? Barbara Streisand. When's the last time she's come out of the house? I haven't seen her. No, I'm serious. I, well, I'm well, you know, every time I go to this day in movie history or entertainment history, they got a Barbara Streisand story every time. Yeah. Uh, Pr- Prince of Tides. I love that movie. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a great movie. I actually like the main event back in the day. I grew up. Oh, in, you're really going back. Yeah, that's way back when her and Ryan O'Neill, the boxing movie. I thought that was fun. Um, you know, we talked we talked about this on the show more than a few times. So, you know, like aging celebrities. I mean, the reality is I think a lot of them don't leave their house. They just don't. Probably not. Well, we're going to get to two more right here. Shirley MacLaine, who uh, is 80. I'm sorry. Uh, is this right? She's 88 years old. Holy mackerel. Shirley MacLaine. I mean, I guess terms of endearment. Yeah, that's the one for me, for sure. She's so good in that film. Um, and then last but not least, and we've done shows on him, Chuck. Jack is uh, 85 this weekend. Jack Nicholson. You know, uh, I was thinking about that when I saw her and I, and, you know, to speak openly, um, I, I, I was saying to myself, like, let's be honest, we haven't heard from him in a long time. Well, like, you know, doesn't go to like, Lakers games anymore either, so we don't and, see him. And there. I think that you know, like, what exactly is going on? Is is he is he mentally co- cognitive? I don't know. I have no idea. I would assume maybe not. Right. But well, we haven't seen him since. How do you know? Icon. He hasn't know, been the in guys the movies. An, the guy's an icon. Yeah. I mean, uh, Joker. Jack Torrance, Shining, McMurphy, Jack, uh, Dan, Dan, uh, uh, McMurphy in, in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Departed. He's really good. Yeah. Um, he's been nominated more times as an actor than any other actor in the history of movies. He's, he's won, won two. He's won three, actually. He's won three Oscars. Um, okay. He won As Good As It Gets, Terms of Endearment. He won Supporting Actor. And okay, then, of yeah. course, uh, 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 One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. I mean, he's just unbelievable. And then, you know, one, A Few Good Men. I mean, another and, unbelievable. And you know, here's another thing about Nicholson, like never went on talk shows. Right. Now nah. he, he kept his persona a very secretive. Obviously, you know, he's not the marrying family man. Right. Uh, really? The only time we'd see him out in public was person. the only time you'd ever see him out in public was Laker games or the Oscars. That's it, really. I mean, right. and, and he, he left quite an impression both times. There's no doubt no, about it. I mean, listen, I don't think the Oscars are the same without him in the front. I mean, this he he. Um, he just had an aura and a persona about him that's very, uh, very rare. All right, Chuck. Well, another actor that's had an aura and persona about him for quite some time. He's been in the business for over 40 years and he's kind of got a little revival here. And that's Nicolas Cage, who you and I have always been a fan of, Chuck. Yes. Um, way back in the day when he when I remember seeing him fall out of the van in Fast Times in Richmond High. Remember, he's one of the the stoners friends with Eric right. Stoltz okay. and uh, Spicoli. Um in that film. And then, of course, the very how, next how year, old is he now? Uh, Nicholas Cage. He is uh, the ripe old age of 58. So still young he's, enough to keep he's, on going. He's still, he's still young enough. And I got to tell you, it, it feels like he, the guy's been around forever. Well, 1982 was Fast Times. And then he turned yeah. that into Valley Girl came out in 1983, Chuck. And I remember seeing this film, which was re- really caught a lot of eyes, um, was a minor hit. And. It, it introduces to Deborah Foreman too. remember her yeah, back in the day. Um, I always remember seeing the one part always made me laugh when the guy came up, tried to bully him. He goes, is this movie in 3D? And he goes, no, but you are. And he punches him in the face. <laughs> and I always got a kick out of that. And you know what? Good for him. Obviously, he comes from film royalty, right? He's part of the Coppola family. So to see him in a movie like this early on, 
Um, I was quite impressed by his performance in that, Chuck. Valley Girls is actually a pretty decent good movie. It is a good movie, and they remade it. Uh, they remade it as a I musical, don't... actually. Yeah, um, and it's it, not bad, it, actually. It, I, no, it, I didn't play in theaters, though. No, it didn't. It came out right around COVID, and it, it you know, right. um, the girl that you like from the uh, the dead the the Groundhog Day knockoff horror movie, whatever. Yeah. I can't think of Jessica, her name, but you know uh, who I mean. Yeah, I like her a lot, Jessica. Uh, well, well, we'll get it. Yeah, everybody who's listening knows Chuck. He was in Rumblefish too, uh, to work for his uncle. Um, not, I don't like this movie at all. Um, in 1983, with Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish with Matt Damon. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan either. And then Racing with the Moon, I actually did like with him and Elizabeth McGovern and uh, Sean Penn got to work together uh, way back when. Well, these are old movies, Chuck. He was in The Cotton Club, too. He had a smaller role in that. Birdie, he co-stars as a Vietnam vet with Matthew Modine. Uh, a, quite an effective film. I know a lot of people like that movie, Chuck. Do you remember him playing uh, The Boy in the Blue, where he plays a, a rower, that uh, a Canadian rower? He's in, No, you don't, do you? No, Jessica Roth, by the way, is Jessica uh, Roth. Yeah, yeah, right. I just want to get that out there. Um, and then another surprising turn as the uh, love interest for and who would have thunk it? Um, uh, Kathleen Turner in um, Peggy Sue got married, Chuck. I, this is a surprising turn for him to play in the flashback episodes and yeah, be that her movie was main squeeze. That movie was that movie was uh, that movie was a big, uh, a big deal in the time. Yeah, that was also Francis right? for Coppola, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was 1986. And then he'd really break out, Chuck, with two movies in 87 that are basically classics. And that's Raising Arizona and Moonstruck. And the whole snap out of it scene really put him to yeah. another es- upper echelon. That was a big movie. I agree. Oscar nominated. Yeah. He's in it. And it really helped his career. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, Cher was a big deal back in the day, too. And Raising Arizona has lived on in infamy for, for yeah. forever. A movie. Joel and Ethan Cohen. Yeah. Um, and then the wacky stuff started, Chuck. He did a movie called Vampire's Kiss. The rumors uh, abound yeah, yeah. that he ate a live cockroach in this film, Chuck. I don't doubt it. And this movie is off the wall. And this is where his wacky persona really starts to kick in. Agree. I mean, I remember that story at the time that he ate a, lo- uh, a cockroach. He, he's you could see he's, he's over the top. Yeah. And this might be the last time I saw Chris Makepeace in a movie as well. I think he's the co-star in that film, Chuck, the 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 meatballs star and yeah, my, my bodyguard, bodyguard star. Yep. Um, a lot of people love Wild at Heart too, Chuck. That came out in 1990, opposite Lord. Yeah, that's a David Lynch movie. Yep, David Lynch, another over-the-top performance. Um, what do you think of his action turn opposite Sean Young and Tommy Lee Jones in Firebirds, which is an odd movie that. Tried to cash in on some Top Gun kind of stuff, and it really yeah. never took off as a big time action movie. I don't remember it that well to give uh, a ton of commentary on it. Do you? Yeah, I, I just remember the trailers. I remember seeing it. I don't remember it being very good. Um, mm-hmm. And Sean Young, boy, oh, boy. Uh, in 19, he'd head into the 90s with Firebirds, but then he starts doing uh, mainstream comedies. And to me, Chuck. Honeymoon in Vegas as Jack Singer is one of the top five performances you'd ever give. I love this movie. Uh, it's over the top. It brings, you know what it is? It brings all his other personas and puts it into a nice, neat mainstream package. And it's hysterical. Yeah. I mean, there's another, uh, before I expand on what I'm going to say, just keep, keep going. <laughs> you have something to say, say it. 
Where do you want to stop? What movie? Uh, keep going. Keep going. The Bridget right. Fonda movie. All right. We'll we'll get to it. Um, All right. Amos and Andrew thoughts on this uh, black versus white film that really uh, the more you watch it now, it might not be in the best of taste opposite Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, I, I, I it doesn't have much of a legacy, though. It doesn't. Now, many people probably don't even remember it. Uh, no. He do a real good movie called Red Rock West that basically went to uh, straight to video, Chuck. Um, and then Guarding Tess, which I'm a huge fan of, of 1994. Speaking of Shirley MacLaine, this movie has a lot more heart than it deserves. And it's he's not. Movie. It's a real good movie. He's not as manic in it. Um, he actually is pretty grounded. And Shirley yeah. MacLaine really does a real, really good performance. And there there's chemistry there, Chuck. That actually works. And that's a movie probably a lot of people have not seen. It, it was um, it played at Oscar time, though. I mean, that movie in its in the year it came out was well seen. Um, he did that in 1994. And he also did the movie you want to talk about. And that's It Could Happen to You, which might be his most mainstream performance to date. Well, I, I felt that movie. He was like um, extremely likable and connectable yes. to the mainstream. That probably was his at the time, his most likable role. Just being likable. He was very likable. In yeah, that. very uh, mainstream, very affable. But, you know, it's a yeah. leading man type role that he's not going to be this wacky guy eating cockroaches. Now, also yeah, in that I movie, like, I, I like I like her. Yeah, she I love good. that. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's actually a really good yeah. movie about a, a, a cop who buys a lottery ticket for a waitress and shares the money. Real good movie. Um, he that year he did a Christmas movie. Chuck, do you remember the Christmas movie he did in 1994? He did it with um, two other co-stars, right? Yes. Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. Yeah. But you know, one thing about Christmas movies, no matter how bad, good or indifferent they are, they still get a lot of playability come holiday season. Right. I don't know if Trapped in Paradise is seen by many people every Christmas year, though. I remember seeing it in a theater. And yeah, it's definitely a disappointment. It is. It's like Um, a one trick pony. It's like, okay, concept. All right. Execution. Not so much. Right. Wacky, wacky, small town. Frank Capra. We'll do all the ingredients, but the script's awful. There's nothing to it. Yeah, I agree. um, Boy, a real good movie was Kiss of Death. Remember that in 1995? That was the big David Caruso uh, quitting uh, the NYPD Blue and his first leading role. But Nicolas Cage steals that movie, Chuck. That's a real good movie. But I mean, David Caruso, did you ever really feel that he had what he thought he had? I never did. No, not at all. Not at all. And then Chuck, 1995, he, he gets the Oscar he's been dreaming of, and that's leaving Las Vegas, obviously, plays a guy who drinks himself to death in, in Las Vegas. Look, I love the performance. I don't love the movie. It is way over the top depressing, but he's so good in it. Uh, but, t- I mean, do you really want to watch a guy kill himself, to de- you know, drinking but himself? It, but it is a really well-acted. If, if, it, if, listen, fin- if, you understand, if you understand what you're getting into. Right. I mean, this, this is a, this is good stuff. If you but you have to be in the mood to want to go through this ride, which is obviously not a pleasant one. Well, coming off the Oscar, coming off the Oscar, Chuck, he does three action movies that some could argue are maybe three of the best action movies of all time. Um, the Rock, Con Air, Face Offs, back to back to back. You start with the best one and the other two are just as good. I love all three performances, Chuck, especially me too, especially Stanley Goodspeed. We love him in that. And then yes. when the, the you know, what's underrated in Face Off, which is a quite over the top fun action oh, it's movie, a great movie, though, is how it's good their performances movie. are when they switch. And, and, faces. I agree. And what makes Face Off, I think Face Off is a masterpiece, personally. It's a great movie. And what makes it great 
is that usually when you watch a movie like that, right, you sort of side with one performance. Yeah. But they're both so good. Yeah. Like, when they like it, it, and they they switch on a dime from extremely likable to unpleasant. It's amazing movie. It yeah, it quite it really movie. is. And let's not go uh, too farther without mentioning. We both love. We talk about the Rock almost every podcast, yeah. so everybody it's, knows it's how much great. we love. Other than Die Hard, we think it's maybe the best action movie ever made. I would pure, agree. You're just a pure, not a superhero, but just a pure action movie. And it's I a great and, movie. And don't sell Con Air short because it's a no, lot Con of fun. Con Air is very entertaining. A lot of very fun. Very entertaining. And Nicolas Cage is super likable. You know, he's on a mission to get home to his little girl, right? Yep. Yep. And he's got all these offbeat, wacky characters. Uh, Malkovich's so good in it. And great I'm, I'm cat. And, and, Bushimi. and how good is Oh, my God. Steve Bushimi's. And, and it's, he's a little edgy in that movie. His <laughs> character's a little edgy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and Ving Rhames is good. I mean, all everybody in that. Rachel and Dickinson was, is good. It, it was the first time we got to see is, John Cusack in an action movie, great. too. What it is, it's a, it's a high-concept very very entertaining movie yeah leave your brain at the door but it's yeah fun. and it works on that level completely yeah. now here's an interesting movie in 1998 it was a huge hit chuck but it really i know some people that don't like it um but it was such a big hit and talk about likability city of angels chuck opposite meg ryan was a, a big fan. time hit yeah um, i didn't, i thought it was flat i thought it yeah, was a little slow a little too slow too a little slow moving um and, and i that is the last movie that dennis france appeared yeah. in yeah, it's really when he weird. Retired from NYPD Blue. That was it. He never worked again on film, which it, stinks. I don't yeah. get it, but it's what he chose to do. In 1998, Chuck, he also worked opposite Brian De Palma. And the first time I saw Snake Eyes, I didn't like it. Upon repeat viewing, it works. I, the problem I have with Snake Eyes is they they let the cat out of the bag way too early in this film, and you know who the villain is within the first 20 minutes of the film. There's really not a lot of suspense and then an over-the-top hurricane. But if you just Here's admire a, Brian De Palma yeah. and Nick Cage for what they can do, it's a pretty good movie. Here's the thing with Brian De Palma. The guy who can do great stuff, Untouchables. Um, Blowout. Blowout. The, yeah. the, 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 the movie do with Melanie Griffith. Uh, but he also had a period where he did clunkers, and I thought Snake Eyes is one of his clunkers. Uh, but that next year in '99, a movie we both like is Eight Millimeter, um, really gritty detective I love, film. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Joaquin Phoenix and I as tell well, you, uh, I, I, and James Ganlifini. Here's yep. the thing about Eight Millimeter: Joel Schumacher directed that movie. Yeah. Right. So anybody who said, "Oh, Joel Schumacher has no edge after seeing Batman and Robin," well. Watch eight millimeter, eight millimeter, and I got to tell you, they don't make movies like that. That movie's dark, and it is so absorbing. It is you, and it's it's the most. Let's be honest, that's not a movie. No, if you're that's for the faint of heart, for the whole fa- for the no. whole family to sit no. in front. Of. No. I mean, because it's dealing with s- snuff films, yeah, right, yeah, and it, and it's it's a mystery or you know detective story, but he goes into a really it's sort of. It sort of goes back to the George G. Scott movie, right? Hardcore. Uh, when, yeah, when hardcore. hardcore yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's very reminiscent of a movie like Hardcore. Yeah. Which is diving into into the mud, but it takes you along into it. And that movie's terrific. A millimeter. Terrific. Uh, in 99, he'd work with Scorsese's and bringing out the dead as an EMT driver that kind of gets addicted to drugs. Um, I'm not a big fan of that movie, Chuck. Uh, in 2000, no, two good movies that I enjoyed a lot. Um, 
Gone in 60 Seconds, which is basically a standard action movie, but it has a really a lot of good performances from likable actors in it and some good car chase scenes and a movie I know you love. And that's 2000s The Family Man, which is another one of those. That's a Christmas movie that does work and you can watch every yes. Christmas. And, and I tell you, the first time and I said this before on this show, the first time I saw a Family Man in a theater, I went by myself. It was opening day Friday afternoon. I used to kill time. OK, what's coming out? I liked it, but with some reservation and then over time that movie's really grown on me and i i wind up i really i really like that movie immensely because i love the chemistry between tia leone his wife in the movie yep. and nicholas cage it's a really nice chemistry and, and brett ratner directed that and he has a reputation for being a hack yep, yep. He, he knows how to mount the movie though and um it, you know it's 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 borrowing from it's a wonderful life the only aspect of it, the end is so melancholy. Yeah, it is. It is. It's sort of weird that they went with that ending. Having said that, that's Nicolas Cage's most likable best. Yep. Yep. There's hard. It's hard to argue. Uh, he'd make the two kind of war movies back to back. He'd do Captain Corelli's Mandolin in 2001. He did John Woo film, film called Wind Talkers, um, yeah. a World War Two movie. To me, his next great performance and maybe one of his best was in 2002 when he did Adaptation, where he played uh, uh, twin brothers, Charlie Kaufman and Donald yes, Kaufman. A great, great movie by Spike Jones. Um, and he got nominated for that film as well, too. Um, and then another uh, nice little caper movie is Matchstick Men that a lot of people forget, Chuck, where he he yeah. uh, stars opposite Allison Lohman and, and Sam Rockwell is about. Uh, the Ridley Scott film. That's a good uh, uh, thief movie, Chuck. That's actually a good movie. Didn't make a lot of money, though. No, it didn't. The next movie did. And that's 2004's National Treasure, where Nick Cage joins Disney, Chuck, for this brand new kind of, uh, well, we could call it, a, I guess, a, a series of films. He did two National Treasure movies. Um, they're entertaining. They are. Uh, playing off the kind of Da Vinci Code type film where he's, yeah. you know, I think they're they're fast moving. Um, the second one good isn't cast. as good, Book of Secrets. Yeah, no, the first one's better. First one's good better. Cast. Good, he's great good cast. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, I actually recommend them highly. I think yeah, we're, both, we're starting to run out of rope. We're running. This is here. where we're getting. We're right. the mid two thousands where it starts to get a little uh, iffy. He did the Lord of War about a gun salesman in two thousand five. He would do yeah. the weatherman, which was with Michael Caine, a watchable yeah. movie. Nothing great. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, then World Trade Center. So he's in a high profile movie about 9-11 with Oliver Stone. So this that's he's a big good. Deal. He's really good in that movie. The only problem I have, and we said this before on the show, if you're going to make a 9-11 movie, you got to do scope. And yeah. it, this movie. So, so uh, it's so small in scope. If you if you're gonna look it's for it, frustrates me. It is frustrating, yeah, because it's just about two guys who are trapped and right. The normality mean, yeah, of the and, day. And they're both good in it. Him yeah, and, and uh, it's a great story that they're telling. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, the line of demarcation might be the next movie, Chuck, and I the black the backlash the Wicker Man got in 2006, not only for Nick Cage but the director and writer Neil LaBoot. People hate this movie, Chuck. Um, I don't hate it, though. And when it came on cable, honestly, I, I like although the ending, you cringe. Oh, my God. It's hard to watch. Right? I mean, it's cringe. It's cringeworthy. What did you think of his turn in Ghost Rider? Uh, I thought he was. Um, I thought he was very likable in it. I Man. mean, it's not a good it's not that good of a movie. It's not a bad movie. It's a watchable movie but it's not compared to you know what they're doing now at marvel 
uh, and, and characters like that, you know, it's middling at best. And he did two of them, right? He did Spirit of Vengeance. Yeah, in well, said the second one was was uh, done by uh, I think a, a pair of directors who uh, I don't think are very talented, and it's not a good movie at all. Boy, uh, you think a movie with him and uh, Julianne Moore about an action movie about a guy who can predict a couple of moments into the future would work. But next is bad, Chuck. I wish it was better. I He's got a bad hairstyle in this film, too. And it's the last time we see uh, Peter Falk in a movie, too. Next is not not very good. No, I agree. Bangkok, ser- dangerous. No thoughts. He's she's starting to churn him out more now. But here's this last great movie. And if you haven't seen this last great movie by Nicholas, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. we didn't get the kick ass yet, though. Well, all due respect to kick ass. He did yeah. this, you know, 2010, the next year. I think knowing yeah. is his last it, great movie. It's a really fun sci fi movie. It's got and it goes. It has no boundaries. It goes all the way. Um, he's very good in it. Very grounded in it. Um, it's got a great script. I actually love you got a very early performance. That's really good by Rose Byrne in it, too. Chuck Knowing's a real creepy, great sci fi movie. It's a four star sci fi movie and they're hard to find. So if you and haven't they, seen and, it and, yet. And, and here we're at a period before streaming, right? Where yep. people were willing to take chances on something like, ah, let me see, you know, and, and discover something fun. Now, right? the reason I don't put fun. kick yet. Yeah, right. And the reason I don't put kick ass in the same category is kick ass is great because everything around. I mean, Nick Cage is great. And don't get me wrong, but it's more of a Nick Cage carries knowing. Uh, oh, and, yeah, but he also is. He also is. I think, look, and the reason I say that is because I just did a screening at my local theater of Kick-Ass for the ESU girls soccer team, right? So instead of showing a, a sports movie, I wanted to show something a little edgy. You know, I, I want to I get them ready for the season. So <laughs> I said to myself, what are you laughing at? So I said to myself, let me show Kick-Ass. And I got to tell you, they loved it. Like, I was a little nervous, especially, you know, in the beginning when, when Kick-Ass is, um, you know, masturbating into a garbage can. I didn't know if it would fly. But they wound up loving this movie, Hit Girl, and Nicolas Cage's Big Daddy. I mean, that is a great – he's just awesome in that He movie. is very good in it. He is. Yeah. But, but you know, let's face it. It's yeah. the girl's movie, and, and she steals the movie. Hit Girl, she does. Yeah. Um, uh, Chuck, after that, it's – you know, you got Bad Lieutenant, the reboot. Um, you got – Which is sor- actually a good movie because – but, again, not for the faint of heart. No. He tried to dip into the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which was kind of a kid's movie. Nobody went yeah. to see it. Drive yeah. Angry. Remember that crap, uh, Chuck? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which actually um, co-stars Amber Heard, who's in the news a little bit. You might have heard uh, recently yeah, as well. Yeah, I heard a little about her. Um, and then it's completely off the rails with movies like Stolen and The Frozen Ground and Rage, Outcast. He was actually pop up in one of the Left Behind movies that they tried to do. Uh, he was the star. Pay That's the ghost. Stunning. That's stunning that he yeah. did that. Yep. Dying of the yep. Light, The Runner, The Trust, Dog Eat Dog, Snowden. He made a movie about the story that uh, 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 Robert Shaw talks about in Jaws, USS Indianapolis, Army yeah. of One, Arsenal, Vengeance, a love story. Inconceivable. It's inconceivable what's going on in his career right now. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> mom and dad dark uh although i know a lot of people like mandy right so there's a they do they do yeah. um looking glass the humanity bureau 211 uh between worlds uh he's got a voice in spider-man into the spider-verse and teen titans go i'll give him credit for that but yeah. then running with the devil color out of space a score to settle kill chain primal grand isle has he done total Total, uh, they have him here for 200 and what? No, I might be high on that. 110. Okay. Sorry. 110. All right. Okay. All now, right. uh, I know recently he's gotten movies like Willie's Wonderland and pig. And, and a lot of people see these streaming movies and they, they actually give do him they, some credit. Do and, they really see him? I, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, who knows? He's got this new flick unbearable weight of massive talent coming out and he's going to play Joe exotic, which is uh, coming up as well. Um, but, Will we ever see him in just a good old fashioned straight A, you know, I think I think you, I, I think I think 50 50. He goes back into doing a lot of mainstream work. Yeah, I think I, I not 100, not 70. I say 50 50. Yeah, if they it's almost the like guy, you, the guy's you, still a tremendous talent. It depends on if they want to. If the what about his, wants to. what about his A is likability on the big screen and B, do people know who he is anymore? I don't think it matters. I think he's enough. I think he's entertaining enough and talented enough where they'll discover who he is. I think what we need is Quentin Tarantino to cast him in his next film. Something like that. Something, Something like, like that. that. All right, Chuck. But, you know, great. A, you know, unbelievable movies that we've recapped here. Um, and, and he's had quite a career and we wish him the best of luck because we don't want him in these bad movies. We want him in, in, in these big time movies again, you know, and the story goes, and he admitted in an interview that he did have debt issues, serious debt issues. So he started banging out one project after another for quick money, but he did justify and say, listen, I did not, I gave my a game in these movies. He believes, right. he believes he gave it all. And in and, some of them, he did, he's really good. And in, in a lot of the actors we make fun of like Bruce, Bruce Willis and John Cusack and all these movies, if you watch their movies, the difference between what they're doing and what Nick Cage is doing Nick Cage is earning this money at least. He's yeah, trying with that. this film. I agree with that 100%. Bruce Willis is, you know, and we, we learn why in a lot of his later yeah. films here. But, yeah. and John Cusack, they're not doing I anything. mean, listen, when John Cusack showed up to a convention, his first convention a couple of years ago, he wore sunglasses. Yeah. Like from beginning to end. That's pretty telling, though. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Something happened to that dude. I don't know what it is. And again, that story will be told at another time. All right, Chuck, that does it for the Nick Cage show. We'll do this all over again next week. Uh, Mike, uh, always a pleasure. To the audience, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts.
podcast by Federated Media.